Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. So, uh, we have a real, another treat, having had Clive, which is of course a major treat. We've got another one. It's all about treats today, because trickle treat kind of thing. There we go. No. Thanks. Um, thanks for laughing on the front. Um, so many of you will know is where he plays uh, the keyboards in our band. He's one of the elders in the church, along with Anne, his wife. They have two gorgeous daughters, and uh, he speaks on Lectio. He's part of the Lectio three, uh, 365 team. Uh, most importantly, he is family, and he is a dear friend. So let's welcome him as he continues our James series this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Bill sent me a text message um, two weeks ago to say to me that you've only got 20 minutes to do this talk. So this is a massive chapter. It's an incredibly challenging chapter in the book of James, James chapter 2, if we can open it whilst I talk. And I just pray that we could do it justice. Pete Batten has done a brilliant job last week in laying the foundation for this magnificent chapter of the book of James. The book of James is very very, very challenging. It's a very hard-hitting book. You've, if you want to know how, how hard-hitting it is, listen to Pete Batten's talk. I could not recommend that talk highly. He was absolutely brilliant. It was methodical. It was practical. It was applicable. And most of all, it was quite challenging. A lot of the times when I read the Bible and it touches my heart, I always go like, amen. But, but this time when I'm reading the book of James, I kept finding myself going, ouch. Ouch, ouch, ouch. And I pray that as we go through this book today, as we go through chapter, through chapter 2, that it blesses you. And I just want to reiterate what Pete said in saying, this is an incredibly challenging book. It is an incredibly challenging book. And every time I read it, I understand why Martin Luther did not want it in the Bible, because of it is a tough book. But I don't want you to focus so much on how tough it is, but I want you to focus on the lessons to which you can draw from it. Because I think for our spirituality and for our, for our growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think it is important to hear the things we love hearing and to also hear the things we don't like hearing about. Because of the Bible says the word of the Lord is profitable and it's, it's worth for teaching, rebuking and all of that. Don't remember there's rebuking in there as well. It's not, it's, not always, it's not always pleasant. So without any waste of time, let us open our Bibles in the book of James chapter 2. If it speaks to you, you can shout, ouch, like I did. You'll be fine. Because of the amount of time I have and because of the amount, literally, we could take five weeks on each chapter of the book of James alone. Pete Batten did a brilliant job. I mean, what we are going to do today, I feel like it's not even touching the surface, let alone scratching it. So I pray you would bear with me, and I will try as, as best as I possibly can to draw the theme or one particular theme which I feel, or two themes which I feel that the Lord wants us to look at this morning. So let me just pray quickly before we get into this. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you come and speak to us this morning? Would you come and minister to our hearts. 
Father, may your word come down and not return to you void without accomplishing that which it has been sent forth to accomplish. We remember what Nehemiah said. He said, Lord, Heavenly Father, when you said to Nehemiah, do not let this book of law depart from thy mouth, but meditate upon it day and night so you can live in accordance with everything that's written in it. Jesus, speak to us this morning. We pray. Amen. Right. I'm going to read. We're going to go. We're going to go lecture your moment here. No, we're not. But I'm just going to read. James started off in chapter 2, verse 1. I'm not going to read the whole of it. I'm just going to read the themes which I feel are pertinent to what I'm going to be talking about because for the sake of time. My brothers and sisters, believers in our gracious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He does not mince his word. He goes right in there. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourself and become judges, uh, become, become judges with evil thoughts? Listen my brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? Verse 6. Remember this one. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who, who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who drag you into courts? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him who you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. tough. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit murder also said you shall not, uh, who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me hear somebody say, ouch. That was an ouch moment. Now we know that the second part of this chapter, it goes into works and deeds, which Pete Batten on his talk, when I was listening to it online, he said to me, he said, he, he just passingly said, good luck to Israel. And um, that, that, is, that was a really tough one. But with the amount of time, please bear with me. And let me cover something which I feel that the Lord has laid in my heart, which I believe we could benefit from. We have all, at one point or another in our lives, have encountered favoritism. All of us have. We have either suffered because of it, or we have benefited from it. And favoritism, it is the most painful thing to be on the receiving end of. It is a very painful thing to have been a victim of. You know, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? 
you know, um, losing on a job or a promotion that we were promised at work. And it was due to us, but we lost on it because somebody else was favored over us. Or maybe somebody got a promotion that, we were, that was meant for us, and then we know that they are less qualified than we, were, than we are. We worked very hard for it to get it, but we didn't get it because of somebody was favored. Favoritism is an incredibly difficult thing to be on the receiving end. This is something that I, as a black man, unfortunately knows only too well. It's something I, it has been, it has been my portion. It has been my portion all my life. It is, I have encountered more times than I actually care to remember. Anne and I, we met on the ship. There's a slide of me and Anne that will come up in a minute. There we are. With our SP, those who know Anne, Anne is my dearly beloved wife who I absolutely love. Um, Anne and I, when we first met, we were traveling around the world and we were traveling, we were working as missionaries on board a ship. And then as we were working on this ship, the ship had rules as to how people can date or not date. The rule was after one year of service, you can start dating somebody and you can have a relationship. And after a year, just to make the story short, after a year of being on board the ship with Anne, when everybody else who has been there with us at the same time was getting the relationship, the rule was you have to go and ask for permission from the people, you know, from the pastor, from the management of the ship. So it was announced on the ship that you were dating somebody and everything. So Anne caught my eye after a year, and I went and I said, well, let's go ask for permission. And I knew that she liked me as well. So we went and we asked for permission, and we said, can, we, can I date Anne, please? And can Anne be my girlfriend, and she be my boyfriend? And we were told this, and we were told this. They said, we were too widely cross-cultural to start dating. We were not allowed to date. They said, we can only date two months before we left the ship. That was favoritism of the worst kind, and it hit me really hard, and it took me an awful lot of time to recover from that. Here was a woman I liked I could not go out with. And then here were people who were with me at the same time on the ship who had done the same thing I have done. They were allowed to date, but I was told that we were too widely cross-cultural. However way you choose to look at that one, that reeks of racism. That was, that was favoritism of the worst sort. My mother tells me a story that in 1985, when she was about to give birth to me, the hospital was so busy, there's a picture of my lovely mom that will come out. There she is. This was back in the, uh, back in the township uh, behind a rose bush. So my mother tells me a story that in 1985 in South Africa, in the, hos the hospital was so busy, it was so busy and so heaving that the nurses were ordered to move all the women in the black maternity unit, in the blacks only maternity unit, they had they had to be moved off their beds onto the floor so that the beds, they could make beds available for the women who were coming in into the whites only maternity unit so that they could be able to have a comfortable birth delivery. There was my mother lying on the floor about to give birth to me. They favored the whites people comfort over my mother's comfort. That was favoritism of the worst kind. In chapter two, as putting off our faith into action, 
in chapter 2 as having a practical faith. James warns us against the plight of favoritism. Not only does James denounce favoritism, he calls it out. He is calling it out. Because of, you see, the reason why James is calling out favoritism so much, it is because of favoritism by nature. It is inconsistent with God's character and values. And because of favoritism is inconsistent with God's values and character. Pete, do you mind, buddy? Because of favoritism is inconsistent with God's values and God's character, James is calling out. And not only is favoritism inconsistent with, what, with who God is, but it is also dangerous. It is the root of all division. It is the root of all discrimination. It is what kept my mother on the floor of the hospital before she gave birth to me. Her comfort didn't matter to somebody else because my mother was less favored. We have all encountered and have suffered from favoritism. I was quite taken by how much the Bible has got to say about favoritism. Even the verse, even the, even the, even the passage of scripture that we all know so well, John chapter 3 verse 16, it says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Notice that he, he loved the whole world. There is no discrimination in who God is. There is no favoritism in the person of God. There is no partiality in God. God is not a partial God. Because of favoritism is inconsistent with who God is. And because of it does not match the values of who God is. It has to be something that we see as God sees it. This is what James is saying in the first, in the first verse of chapter 2. He is saying brothers and sisters must not show favoritism. He's calling out favoritism as something inconsistent. And because of it is inconsistent with who God is, it has to be inconsistent with us. It has got to be inconsistent with us. In calling out favoritism, James is inevitably teaching us something. He is teaching us to be accepting of other people as they are, as they come. As they are, as they come. Regardless of where they come from. Regardless of what they look like. Regardless of what postcode they are from. Regardless of the kind of house they live in. But, but look, it is inconsistent with God and God it has to be something that is also inconsistent with us, regardless of what people are. People have to be seen in God's image. People have to be seen as people created by God and for God. And this is what James is addressing here in this book. What I believe James is actually addressing here is this. In just the first verse of this chapter, he's saying this. He is saying... He's saying that, <clears throat> pardon me, he's basically saying this, favoritism, favoritism, all manner of favoritism and discrimination. The church must be the only one place where discrimination and prejudices must not and should not exist. This is what James is saying. Favoritism and discrimination in the church. The church should be the one place where we do not tolerate it. It should be the only one place where we do not allow of it. Where we don't allow of it. Because of the church is a place of acceptance. We were accepted as we are, as we come. 
Because of, you see, the Bible puts us all on equal footing. When, when God says, when the Apostle Paul says, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of the Lord, that includes everybody, regardless of their status, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their social standing, they, just as they are. And James is warning to say this stuff should not be in the house of the Lord. Let me, amen, brother. Amen. The church, the, play, the house of the Lord is a place of acceptance. It's a place where people are acceptance. Have you noticed that on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit comes down, he is coming into a church that is so united, there's no place for favoritism and discrimination in it. He's coming down to a church that was so diverse that when they started speaking in tongues, other people started to hear them. In other words, it was a multicultural place, but there was absolutely no discrimination of any form, none whatsoever in that place. And man, James is not pulling, any, James is not holding back on here. He is absolutely saying it as it is. Look, Luke, I just love the fact that Luke goes on to state. When we read in Luke goes on to state in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 to 47, and I paraphrase, it says, All believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions. They gave to those who were needy. Every day they continued to meet together and they broke and ate God together. Could it be, could it be that the Holy Spirit that came down with so much power in the New Testament was triggered by the unity of believers? was triggered by believers not seeing each other's differences, but seeing, each other, seeing in each other the very image of God himself. Could it be that the Holy Spirit comes down when the church decides to put all the differences, all their prejudices, all their discriminations, and it focuses on the image of God that we all are? There is so much togetherness in the church at that time that there is no room for favoritism and discrimination. When we read in the book of, in the book of Romans chapter 2, verses 2, the apostle Paul says to the Romans, I was surprised by how much the Bible has to say on this subject. It says, for God does not show favoritism. Romans chapter 2. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, after Paul has given some sound advice and instruction to his apprentice, uh, Timothy, he finishes by saying, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep this instruction without partiality and doing nothing, doing nothing out of favoritism, nothing out of favoritism. The Bible has got a lot to say on the subject. And if the Bible has got so much to say on the subject, it is probably for us to also deal with. Let somebody shout out. We all desire to be accepted. We all desire to be taken for who we are as we come. You see, we will begin to see lives change and transformed when we begin to understand the value of acceptance regardless of how people look or how they sound or what theological ideas they hold or what political views they hold just as they are. And I am not saying accepting of behavior, that is quite different, but accepting people for who they are as they come loved by God. They should find that place. Have you noticed that Jesus in scripture before, did, have you noticed that Jesus in scripture before he changes somebody, before he changes somebody, he accepted them first. 
Have you noticed that before Jesus changes anybody, he accepts them for who they are. And as a result of that acceptance, people are changed. And I think there is a lesson in there for us as a church that we should never expect to change anyone we are not willing to accept. Do not expect to change anyone you are not willing to accept because of changed people are accepted people. You look at the story with the woman who was about to be stoned for being a prostitute. When she comes before Jesus and Jesus says to the people who want to murder her, he said, let he who has no sin be the first one who cast the first stone. And after, after they all disappear, Jesus says, has anybody condemned you? And she goes, no. He says, neither do I condemn you. He accepts her first as she is, and as a result of that acceptance, that woman is changed. And after Jesus has saved her, she says, now go and live your life in peace. James does not mince his word when he is dealing with the issue of favoritism. And it's something he does not want in the church. The scenario that James paints here of a rich man and the poor man coming into church and how they are received. It's what some theologians believe that James was just giving a hypothetical scenario, but other theologians believe that this was not a hypothetical scenario. They believe that this is something that James might have actually witnessed take place or happen in the church. I tend to lean with those who believe that this is something that James noticed, and because of he noticed, he's calling it out as being inconsistent with the character and the values of God and of the gospel. The other thing, the reason why James is calling, out the, uh, is calling out the church at this particular time of his time is this. He's calling out the church because of what he says in verse 6. He says, but you have dishonored the poor. Their hospitality was at the exclusion of the people who needed it the most. And he's also calling that out. He said, that is not okay. James notices that that favoritism and discrimination in itself, it elevates certain people over others at the expense and at the exclusion of the poor. And then he addresses, and then what I love the most about this, it says, uh, what I love about this is that James, not only does he challenge, not only does he challenge how they treat them, but James is also challenging their hospitality. He goes, how's your hospitality? Your hospitality has got to include the people who need it the most, the poor, the oppressed, and the lost. If you're, he said, do not treat just the rich person coming out. The reason why James is dealing with this is because of back then in Rome, what tend to happen is all the rich people, all the rich people, they used to have their, oh, you know, I was talking to the amazing, wonderful, wise Chris Dean about this, whom I absolutely love, one of the most wisest human beings you could ever have a conversation with on theology. And then he said, they used to have these sophisticated and elegant parties, you know, they, but they were not about hospitality. It was about showing off who was turning up at their dinner table showing up who was dining and, and, and eating with them, all the right and the rich people. But this was as the exclusion of the poor people, the people that needed it. That is why he says in verse 5 and 6, he says, but you have dishonored the poor. Your hospitality was hostility to the people who needed it the most. How is our hospitality as a church? How is our hospitality as a church? Ouch. 
James is saying, in the presence of the Lord Jesus, there can never be no anybody superior, nobody inferior. We are all equal in the, in the house of the Lord. Equal footing, equal value, equal standing, equally loved, and equally valued. There is nobody who should be marginalized because of how they look, or there should not be anybody who looks down upon because of where they come from. James is saying, don't show favoritism because of it is inconsistent with God's values. Well, for the sake of time, I will speak about this a little bit. The reason why James addresses this as about the poor as well, we have to understand that I was reading a book by William Bikley. His, uh, the book, he's, it's, it's called The Letters to James and Peter. And then he makes a very bold claim. He says this. He says the church has, he says the message of the gospel has got a lot more to offer to the poor. And it demands a lot more from the rich. It is the message of hope to the poor. And it demands a lot more to the rich. Why does climate change, climate emergency matter like, we, like we've had from Clive? Why does it matter? You have to remember that there was something that happened in the book of Galatians, which was quite, which was very cool. Um, when the Apostle Paul is about to go to, um, when, when the leaders of the time of the church, they are about to send the Apostle Paul to go and send the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. In Galatians chapter, I, I believe it's in Galatians chapter 2 verses 10. Guess, guess who's sending him? Guess who's, who's commissioning him to go out and to send the message to the Gentiles? It was Peter, John, and guess who? James. And do you know what they said to him? They said to him, they gave him one instruction and one instruction only. They said to him, when you go out, always. He says, Paul says this in, in, in Galatians 2.10. He says, all they asked was that we should continue remembering the poor. Never to forget about the poor. Jesus cares about the poor. It says in the book of Matthew, the first message that Jesus preaches in Nazareth when he's been sent out to go preach, when, when, he's, when he goes in, into Nazareth, into a synagogue, he says this, for, you know, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to proclaim good news. Who to? To the poor and to the oppressed why does the climate emergency matters James is addressing this issue in, a, in one way in one form or another it matters because of in remembering and in doing what we possibly can do with with regards to climate change and the climate emergency it is because of we are considering the poor because of it is the poor who are disproportionately affected by the effects of climate change we are remembering the poor. Whatever you do, remember the poor. Think about the poor. Think about the poor. Think about the oppressed. That is why as a church we do things like love thy neighbor and Bill and Adam, they forced us to play a Christmas song in October because of we were trying to raise money for the poor. We believe in this stuff. We believe in this stuff. I did send them a very, very, very tough email after that, <laughs> asking them, never again will I play a Christmas song in October. <laughs> we did it for the poor. We do these things because of the poor. We do, when, Levi, when, 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 Levi, when Levi, the text collector, had this banquet for Jesus in the book of Matthew and the Pharisees come to him because of there was a large crowd gathering around him and they said to him dude why and the Pharisees and the teachers they say to him why why are you eating with sinners and tax collectors do you remember what Jesus said 
the doctor, the doctor is for the sick, not for the well. The doctor is for the sick, not for the well. The message of the gospel, it demands a lot more from countries that can do more. Because of in our thinking and in our doing, we are thinking about the poor. Because of time, I'm not going to do everything, but as we land it, as I'm going to land it, James teaches about, I want to draw a couple of two lessons from this that I feel that James is teaching us. One of them is this. He speaks about keeping the royal law. James is saying favoritism, discrimination displayed by the elites was in violation, was in violation of the royal law. What is the royal law? The royal law is the command that Jesus gave. He says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart and love your neighbor as you would love yourself. That is the royal law. In other words, love is what sets the standard. Love is the standard. The royal law is the standard. It is very difficult to show favoritism about somebody you truly, truly love. It is very hard to discriminate against somebody you truly love as you love yourself. Because of you are taking upon yourself how they feel, what they feel. And you are putting, you are putting on yourself, you are putting on the royal love. You are putting on the royal law. The royal law is the antidote to discrimination. The, law, the royal law is an antidote against prejudice. The royal law is what spares. The ro- if we keep the royal law is what keeps everything that should not make its place into the presence of the Lord. And that is inconsistent with God's character and his values. Now, Peter did say this last week. We could take five weeks on each chapter of the book of James and still won't be enough. I still have him, I'm still not able to cover the second part of the, the second passage, the second part of this verse where he speaks about faith and works. But I will say this. The lesson I believe that we are to derive from the book of James chapter 2 is this. This is the lesson. Brace yourselves. If he's saying here, when he speaks about faith and deeds, which I want to tie in with the whole of the chapter, he says, show me the faith that you profess. It should reflect the faith, what we profess, what we speak, the faith that we profess with our mouth has got to reflect the faith we claim to have. What we say with our mouth is not enough. It's got to be accompanied by action. He's not, he's not in dispute with the Apostle Paul as many people try to suggest that he is. Just very quickly, he's not in dispute with Paul because of, you see, Paul was writing to Christians at a very time, at a different time in the stage of their Christian life. They were at the very early stages and they believed that keeping the law was what was going to save them and all that. It was very early on. But James, when he's addressing the issue of law and deeds, he is speaking to Christians at a very, very different time in their walk with God. They are mature. They have 
have grown up. And Paul is saying you can't earn anything by what you do. But James says in order for you, in order for you to make a claim to this faith, you have to show it in how you show hospitality, in how you show love to people, in what you do with the stuff you've got. He says your, he says your actions have got to be accompanied by faith. It is not enough to say it. It is not enough to just believe it. But it is important to believe it and do something about it. Amen. I want to finish with a quote. I do realize that I haven't got, I, I, a, lot of, a lot of the preachers here at church, they've got, um, they have got iPads. So I don't have an iPad. I'm still old-fashioned, so bear with us. I'm going to finish with this quote from um, William Barclay in his book. As I finish. It says this, no one will be moved into action without faith. And our faith is not genuine until it moves us into action. Just for good measure, I'm going to read that again. No one will be moved into action without faith. And our faith is not genuine unless it moves us into action. In other words... Let everything you do be influenced by your faith. And do not let anything that is inconsistent with God's values and character come into your life. Let everything that God is against, we are against. We are against favoritism, discrimination, because God is against it. Amen. The leaders are moving about, which means I've gone over my time. So God bless you all.